Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we're, first of all, we just thank you and praise you for what's going on here. I thank you for everyone who has worked so hard uh, hour after hour to just, uh, just make sure that this place is ready every week. And Lord, we also are so thankful for AMVETS for reaching out and helping us uh, with their hospitality and just doing everything they can uh, to team with us to make a difference on the West Side. And most of all, I just thank you for your son, the greatest story ever told. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So what we're going to get into today, uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we've got into the mission statement of the church. We've talked about the values of the church. If you're visiting with us today, we're going to get into another the, of the values. But I wanted to review uh, where we've come from and then go uh, move forward where we're headed. Our mission statement at Sherwood Oaks is simply this, people helping people grow generations of Christ-led influencers. And so we've covered the following values. We live like God owns everything. Uh, we mentor across generations. Last week we talked about we think like everyday missionaries, and today is we tell life-changing stories. The stories that are in this room, you have no idea the impact that you have to share what God is doing in your life and how that will help other people. Your stories matter so much. Stories really matter. I read of an interesting survey. I heard this on TED Talks. Uh, his name was Rob Walker. He was a journalist. And somehow he wanted, wanted to gauge the impact and influence of story because he's a journalist. So here's what he did. This is really interesting. He went on eBay and he bought 200 items, cheap items, and after he bought the 200 items, he added it all up, he uh, spent $129. So that gives you an idea of how cheap it was, okay? Then he got a hold of 200 journalists who would write a paragraph to describe one item. Are you with me? 200 separate journalists writing a paragraph about this cheap thing. And then he put it back on eBay, those 200 items. Now remember, he spent $129. After they put the story to every item, he accumulated $8,000. Why? Because there's something significant about a story. One of the great storytellers of our time, Steven Spielberg, said this, stories don't have a middle today or an end anymore. They usually have a beginning that never stops beginning. Now, my son says, I'm not a contemporary movie watcher because here's how I watch a movie. I want it to end well. I want the good guy to win, I want the bad guy to lose, I want the Cubs to lose. I mean, I, got, I just have a really basic formula, and I want to walk away actually feeling like there's hope in the world. I don't need to feel like, oh man, the world's falling apart. I feel like I'm in touch. No, I want a clear-cut ending that just inspires me. There's a structure that's been around, they say since Aristotle, but I actually think Jesus did it better than Aristotle. But it's called a three-act structure of storytelling. And it's simply this. There's a setup, and then there's a confrontation, a crisis, and then there's a memorable ending, a resolution. It's the way an effective story is told. That's why I can't wait to tell you about the greatest story ever told. Act one, the setup. And here it is. We live in a broken world. We absolutely live in a broken world. And we know that all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 because that's the very first time we hear about Jesus. And God has this conversation where first he addresses Satan, 
And then he addresses Adam and Eve. And it's found right here in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he speaks directly to Satan. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, he's saying, you're going to lose the war. You just need to know you're going to lose the war. But we're going to strike the heel of my son. He'll be wounded. And I know that. Verse 16, and to the woman he said, I will make your plans in childbearing very severe with painful labor. You'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then he said to Adam, because you listened to your wife, you ate of the fruit from the tree about which I have commanded not to eat. From this earth, cursed is the ground, because you, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. We live in a broken world. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You ever had those days where you go, man, how much worse can it get? Man, what is wrong with us as a human race? And we go all the way back to Genesis and we realize we live in a broken world. So this week, uh, I started Monday and I just started going through the, the newspaper. Uh, but anytime you're on your iPad, your iPhone, and you'll see breaking news, is it good news usually? So I started cutting out these clips, and here's some of the things that have happened this week. At least nine die in a crash in the Air National Guard cargo plane in Georgia. Um, militants attack a Libyan election commission. 14 are killed. A uh, man from Gary, Indiana, pleads guilty to serial killing of seven women Four years of frustration. That's about I-69. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> big picture there. Um, this is one that just breaks my heart. Husband and wife, teen, die in a crash on in Indiana, 46. That's just one week. That's every week we have examples of a world that is broken. We know that. Because we live in a broken world, we have to get to act too. Act two is the confrontation or the crisis. It's the heartbreak. It's that point when human race has to say, we need help, and we need help. And I like the way that I frame that is confrontation is truly a heartbreak in the midst of your life. Some of you right now have heartbreak in your life. You came here this morning, but you're living through so much pain that in the brokenness of the world, there's brokenness in your life, and I know that. Trust me, I pray that every Sunday morning. You probably wonder... Almost every Sunday uh, when I go back, uh, like, where is he going? And every Sunday morning, I just pray, God, please, just help me understand the pain that's in the room when I go in there. Help me never to take light uh, that this word gives people hope, that your son gives hope. And I just pray that God's word always comes through me so that you can experience the hope of Jesus Christ because I know of your brokenness. Now, I'll tell you, uh, I enjoy movies. Do you know who I think makes the best movies that always has heartbreak placed right in the middle of the movie? You know who does it better than anyone? Disney. Disney does it better than anyone. And that's actually part of Walt Disney's strategy. He wants to break your heart so that by the time you get to the ending, you feel hope, and then you'll buy merchandise. I mean, that is a strategy that works for Disney. But I went online and I found out they, they rated this the three saddest moments in Disney 
history. You ready? Number three, Mufasa's death. Anybody remember that? Poor guy, too, hanging to the air. Okay. Uh, number two, Shadow, the dog, falls into a hole. No homeward bound. Do you know it was ranked the saddest moment in Disney history? Bambi's mother getting killed by a hunter. And I think Tracy Fox was the guy that did that. No. <laughs> That's just sick. Okay. I want you to follow with me in Genesis chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Now listen, this is an amazing story. It's the Tower of Babel. But the Lord came down to the city and the tower where the people were building. And the Lord said, now listen to this. If one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And did you catch that? God comes down to earth and he said, what I have created, they're in my image, and nothing is impossible for them. They're amazing. But they just live, what? In a broken world. They're broken people. And because they're broken people, they desperately need hope. They desperately need help. This morning, what are you struggling with? What is it that's broken in your life? Genesis, excuse me, in John chapter 3. Um, I love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I love that. But I want you to look at verses 18 and 19. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We need help. Act three, the resolution. We have hope. Everybody in this room, I want you to know, no matter how broken you feel, you have hope. One of the greatest stories I love in the New Testament is tucked away in John chapter 4. And I love it because Jesus is with his disciples, and he's going through Samaria. And, of course, that's going into enemy territory. The disciples couldn't believe Jesus was taking them through Samaria. And then they scatter to go find food. And so here's Jesus. It's basically noon. And uh, somebody comes out with water for the well, from the well. Do you remember this story? A woman who came. And she couldn't believe that, first of all, a Jewish man would even be in the presence of Samaria, and then that he would actually talk to a woman. And Jesus didn't just talk to her. He knew spiritually she was empty, and she had so many questions. And Jesus talked to her, not just like a human being. Jesus talked to her with somebody who needed hope. And I love that conversation that they had. And what I love even more is this is one of those times in the Scripture you actually get to see the rest and hear the rest of the story. You know, so many times you're like, oh man, I wonder what happened to that guy. Or I wonder what happened to that woman after they encountered Jesus. Now, this time you get to see what happened to her when she encountered Jesus. And here's what I love. It gets down to verse 39 and she goes into town and it says the town believed her. And you know what her story was when, they went, when she went into town? She said... Jesus knows what I've done. Now think about that. Because you think about what she's done. Remember, Jesus said to her, you've had five previous husbands. 
You're now living with the sixth man. I know what you've done. And yet she's so excited. Now, why would she be excited to tell all of her friends that he knows what I've done? Because she's saying, he'll know what you've done. You know what the deal is? And he still loves me. He still forgives me. And he gives me hope. Where are you at this morning? That you think, Lord, if you only knew what I've done. And here's the deal. He already knows what you've done. And he still loves you. He still reaches out to give you hope. He wants to give you the living water he gave her. That's what I love about Jesus. That's why this is the greatest story ever told. This is the resolution right here. This is the hope that comes walking out of these pages. For the person who says, if Jesus only knew what I've done, he already knows. He already knows what you've done. Just think about that. I heard this the other day, and it blew me away. It's a ministry that I've admired for years. It's the Gideons. And here's how life has changed. I remember as a kid, uh, one of the Gideons giving me a little Bible right outside of school. Now, would that ever happen today? No way. But this was a Gideon missionary, and he was in Latin America. And as the story goes, um, he was handing out the Bibles, and this little community, some folks came up, and they said, oh, our hearts are so heavy because our kids are deeply getting involved with the drugs, and uh, we know who the drug dealer is. We can't do anything about it. And he said, I'll go take him a Bible. And they're like, I don't think that's going to work, you know. And so they said, we'll tell you exactly where he's at. So he goes to meet the drug dealer. So he gets to the drug dealer, and he hands him a Bible. And the drug dealer goes, let me tell you what I'm going to do with that Bible. And he held up pages. He goes, smoke is the perfect paper to roll my doobies in. So I'm going to smoke this Bible. And the guy goes, I'll let you have it, and you can smoke it as long as you read it first. So he took it. Three years later, same missionary goes back to the same area, and now there's a revival in this little village. And the people said, you got to go to this revival and hand out your Bibles. He said, I'd love to. They said, here's the crazy thing. There's a pastor in this little village. It was the drug dealer. He said, I got to meet him. So he goes up to the drug dealer. He says, I don't know if you recognize me, but I'm the guy that gave you the Bible. I need to know the story. And he said, oh, here's the story. I smoked Matthew, and I smoked Mark, and I smoked Luke, and when I got to John, the Bible smoked me. That's what Jesus does. That's how he shows up. He shows up in people's lives that you can't even fathom. He can show up in your life. You just need to say, God, I know I live in a broken world, and I know I'm broken, and I know I need Jesus. That's it. That's the greatest story ever told.